you've already given up on your New Year's resolutions or never made any in the first place, don't worry, you're not alone. While the New Year often brings us to a place of reflection, making changes that stick is hard to do. Statistics vary, but most people quit trying to achieve the goals they set for themselves in the new year by the end of January. This is Christian Curious, and I am Dr. Haley Gray Scott. Each week, we tackle some of the hardest, most pressing questions facing Christians in the 21st century. Today, I'm talking with Dr. Betsy Nesbitt-Wagner about the power of self-reflection, self-evaluation, and how we can set achievable goals that make changes stick. Dr. Elizabeth Betsy Wagner has spent over 15 years as a researcher, consultant, speaker, writer, counselor, and educator. Dr. Wagner received her Ph.D. in counselor education and supervision from the University of Arkansas and her M.A. in community counseling from Denver Seminary. She's co-authored a book titled Community Counseling or, or Effective Generational Ministry with Dr. Craig Blomberg, and another with Drs. Heather and Fred Gingrich titled Skills for Effective Counseling. Betsy is currently a licensed professional counselor and consultant in Denver, Colorado. Betsy, welcome back to Christian Curious. Thanks for having me. It's great to be back. Okay, so many, if not all, employers have systems in place to evaluate uh, performance. And what is a self-evaluation? What what happens after? at the end of the new year or at the end of a year in the beginning of a new year that we start this uh, place of reflection in self-evaluation? I think just as people, we, we work in rhythms. I think that's part of how God made us is that we have, we have rhythms to life. Um, We celebrate birthdays, we celebrate holidays. We, we view our world um, and our existence within generally an annual cycle of some sort. And I think the new year just provides the opportunity for that restart, that we are literally starting something new. Um, and I think for a lot of people, that means, oh, I wonder what I want to start new. Like this year is starting new. It just seems to make it an easy time to easier time to restart. Yeah, there's been some pushback in recent years about um, saying, I'm not going to make any New Year's resolutions because everyone tends to fail Why do you think people tend to fall off the, not fall off the wagon, but actually kind of fall off the wagon and quit trying to achieve those goals? So like by the end of January. I think there's a couple different things. One is just straight up that change is hard. (laughs) Like it, it takes a lot of effort and it takes a lot of um, determination to change the patterns in our life. And Ultimately, that's what a New Year's resolution is. We're, we're looking to change habits or patterns. Um, so I think just one straight up change is hard. The, the other side of that is that um, a lot of times we do better when we are making change on a timeline that works for us or is out of our own conviction and um consideration and for new year's resolutions a lot of times people get swept up in the hype of it rather and so they're they're making these changes because it seems like a good idea to everybody else so it must be a good idea for me too um rather than it actually being something they own for themselves so okay. you can make a new year's resolution that you own for yourself there's not a problem with that it's when 
kind of like positive peer pressure, but positive peer pressure goes away when there isn't anybody else doing the thing with us anymore. Okay, so there are, there are a couple of things to unpack there. The first thing you mentioned is, you know, change is so hard. And that's one of the things that I wanted to, to ask you about is why is change so hard? Um, I think just one of the reasons change is hard is just we really, um, again, like humans have, humans function in, in habits and in patterns and are, whether it's the neural pathways that are, uh, just kind of that, that rut gets kind of, uh, driven in, um, whether it's that we've done what we've done for a reason. Behavior is purposeful. We've, we've had the patterns and the rhythms we've had for a reason. And even if they're outdated, dysfunctional, misguided, they've, they've served a purpose in some way. And so we have to get underneath why the change is needed and, and really be focusing on what this change is, is for, not just, um, oh, I need, I need to eat better. Well, why, what, what has kept you from eating better before? What, what was it that drew you to the unhealthy foods to begin with? What, what made unhealthy habits appealing? Cause it served a purpose for you. Um, and how do we, how do we help challenge what that purpose was and meet that purpose in a healthier way? Yeah, we've, I've talked with another guest before about going to this like seven, six or seven layers of why. So mm -hmm. why do you want to stop eating, you know, at midnight? Right. Um, because I want to lose weight. Why do you want to lose weight? And getting mm -hmm. down to that core why. Um, mm -hmm. Whenever I think about um, habits, I think about the freeways, the highways out in, in the country where I grew up, mm -hmm. which I actually totaled a car on because they are winding and crazy and the speed limit is 65 miles an hour and the story behind these freeways they're they're called farm to market roads and they are actually the paved over pathways that old wagon trails that old wagons would used to use to get from the farm to the marketplace and so when pavement came through, they just paved over those old ruts and then they implemented a 65 mile an hour speed limit where it, wagons used to be. So, you know, every year people lose their lives on those roads because those roads are actually outdated um, mm -hmm. according to today's standards. So they're, they're not built for automobile purposes. And so similarly, when we think about certain habits that maybe have served us, you know, we have built those habits and in to our brains and those neural pathways, we just sort of fall into it. It's, and mm -hmm. so we have to not go on autopilot and be, maybe be intentional about making that change and be intentional all the way through until we've built those new ruts. Would that, would that be fair to right. say? Yeah, that's a great way of saying it. Yeah. Um, so, what are some of the areas that that we should be looking at? I mean, I know that people want to become better versions of themselves. You hear that a lot, you know, you know, I've heard it all over social media. People talk about becoming a better version of themselves. What are some of the areas that um 
that we should look at or that you often see, you know, in, in your practice that people need to look at? Mm -hmm. Um, Actually, this is, as a therapist, this is a question we address a lot. And the framework that I bring, there's plenty of ways to think about this, but the framework that I bring is a bio, psycho, social, spiritual, vocational uh, framework. And so I will ask clients um, and I do this in my own life. I will ask clients to lay out like, under the bio category is everything related to your physical health. So that's exercise, that's diet, that's sleep. Um, that's any medical conditions that may need to be addressed. If you've got an injury, what does physical therapy look like? Um, but but laying out under under the bio category, what are the changes that you're wanting to make? What are the spaces that are good and you want to maintain? What are the spaces that um, could have some growth and what would that look like? And being as kind of going back to smart goals, like what is what is specific, measurable, like what can you actually do? So if if biologically I need more sleep, the goal can't just be more sleep. It needs to be, well, I need to shoot for seven and a half hours of sleep, which means I have to be in bed by 10 o'clock and my lights need to be out by 1030, like being very specific about that. And I want to do that four days a week. I want to do that six days a week. Um, so we have a biological category. So anything related to your physical health, biopsycho. So psycho is to do with psychological. Um, and so what's your internal world look like? Um, that has to do like we can take that in different directions, but is that emotional? Is that characterological? Um, is that um, so it just, is there counseling that's needed? Are there things where, you know, I remember one year, one of, one of my goals was like, I wanted to um, be more patient. And so I needed to put into place, like, what are the things that I'm going to do to psychologically help my own system, my, my emotional state, not get activated as, as fast. Um, and I, I was teaching a class on spiritual formation and, um, one of the books we had students read in that class was talking about a discipline of slowing. And so we talked about different ways to slow your system and to slow your day. And so one of the practices I put in place was anytime I go to a store, grocery store, Costco, whatever, I have to choose the checkout line that line that I come to first, not the checkout line that looks fastest because it slows me down. It's not like, because I love efficiency and I want things as fast and as efficient as possible, but that psychological state of being less rushed, more patient, this was a way that I could practice that. Um, and it seems silly, but it made a big difference. Um, so biopsycho, social what does your relationships need to look like what does community look like where do you have good friendships that you need to nurture where is your marriage doing well where are there spaces that it needs either of those things need attention um how do what does that that look like so when i moved to a new community a couple years ago i have good friendships from another part of town but they're not easily accessible and so i was going to intentionally then participate in activities at church that could build community. Now that overlaps social, but social and spiritual, but it was primarily for a social purpose of I needed community. Um, And so as much as I was not excited about some of the women's ministry activities that were going on, 
I needed to go because it was in pursuit of that social goal. So biopsychosocial, spiritual, um, and as just indicated, sometimes these things overlap. So where is my relationship with the Lord? What is my spiritual development look like? And what am I, what is God asking me to work on? So that psychological goal earlier of patience or slowing down was also a spiritual practice of, of being patient and slow with the Lord. And that Bible study or the women's ministry piece was both social and spiritual. Um, but what does it, what is an area where, where God is asking me to um, either, either anchor in because I do it well or grow in some way? Is it head knowledge? Is it heart knowledge? Is it action? Like where, where do I need to pursue that? So biopsychosocial, spiritual, vocational um, has to do with how do you contribute to the world? So whether that's paid or unpaid work, um, where what are your goals as far as your um, contributions to the world? So is it professionally, you're, you need to look for a new job? Is it about advancement? Is it about putting boundaries up at work? Is it about more volunteer space because you're in a season of retirement or something different? Or if you're an at-home parent, that is your vocation. And what does it look like to invest in that? Um, but I think it's really helpful when we can break down our goals and identify, you know, what which domain are we really needing to focus on? And in some seasons, it is one domain at a time because it is too big. And in other seasons, we can tag team or we can multi-layer it. But it really just kind of depends. Okay, so <clears throat> practically, how do people start this evaluation process of the bio, psycho, social, spiritual, and vocational? Where, what does that look like? And how have you seen the best way to do that or conduct that self-evaluation? I love handwriting things out. I think there is something beneficial about taking it from your head, through your arm, out your hand, onto paper where your eyes can see it. Um, and so I will, if I'm, in a, if I'm in a counseling room with a client, we will whiteboard this and put different categories up. And then I'll ask clients to identify um what falls into each of those categories for them. And I'll use different colored markers. So is that if it's going well, that's a green. If that's needing some work, it's a yellow. If it's completely absent, it's a red. Um, and just kind of giving yourself a visual makes a big difference. So some people want to be like, well, I'll just think about it. Like, nope, you got to actually put it out in front of you, write it out, um, and then share it with somebody. Have have someone in your life that you give permission to step into that with you and to ask you how it's going or to partner with you in how it's going. So I had a buddy at church where we both have mixed emotions about women's ministry activities, but we both had the need and the goal of both social connection and spiritual development in that way. So it's like, all right, I'm going, if you're going great, we're doing this together. Mm -hmm. and, and sometimes people will run together or walk together and they have, mm -hmm. you know, buddies in their neighborhood. Exactly right. That, yep. Which helps accountability. It does. Because now it's not, you, you, it's harder to talk yourself out of, going when someone else is waiting for you or is going to ask you about it later um, or is going to share their progress and you have to be like yeah I didn't I didn't do anything yeah so if a person is looking at you know you mentioned there might be a season in which there might be you might you can only focus on one thing um, mm -hmm. how can a person 
do that? And what it's sort of like an emergency triage, maybe. Yeah. What do you mean? Tell me, it is kind of like emergency triage, but tell me a little bit more about how can people identify that need to just drop Mm -hmm. everything else and focus on that and move forward with a plan of action. Like how do they choose which, which is the priority? Yes. How can they know and identify? I think, I think we, we see where that's tricky uh, because I think it really depends on the person. I think there's some aspect where if your physical health, if that bio space is not at least in a, a yellow zone <laughs> in general, um, that needs to be the priority because if you're not sleeping, if you're not eating, if your body's not working, your internal system doesn't doesn't have the ability to to step in and do what it needs to do. Um, so we start with kind of what's critical there, and and sometimes there's there's always room for God to say, you know what, logic says go here, but I'm telling you to go here for different reasons. But in general, I think we start with um, making sure that our baseline physical needs are met. So that doesn't mean I can't work on anything else until I lose 10 pounds, but it it does mean that if I have an addiction that's getting in the way of things, that becomes my focus. If I'm having trouble sleeping because my sleep apnea is so bad that I'm just a walking zombie every day, that becomes my priority of getting to the doctors and seeing what needs to happen because if if my body is is deteriorating, or is, is being stifled in some way, I'm not going to have the emotional or internal ability to pursue other things. Um, but it really depends. Like I'm cautious even to say that because everybody's story is so different. Um, but I think the space where if there is a domain that is impeding your ability to step into other domains, maybe, maybe that's a better way to say it. If there is a domain that's impeding your ability to step into other domains, that, that becomes your, your first and foremost importance. Yeah. And I guess that might be the heart of what I was trying to get at in a way is that maybe some people do need the freedom to focus on one thing. They need Mm -hmm. to say, okay, this, this thing here, this thing in my life that I'm dealing with, maybe it's cancer, maybe it's addiction, maybe it's, um, you know, loss of, you know, grief in some way. Mm -hmm. Um, that needs to be the priority and I don't have to worry about all these other places and all these other spheres exactly at the same time. And, you know, giving certain, certain type of people who may be a little bit ambitious to tackle everything and which is, you know, what we tend to do at the beginning of the year, we have these grand visions and that's what, that's one of my issues with the smart goals, uh, specific, Mm -hmm. measurable, achievable. I mean, I'm like, okay, so, specific measurable achievable i get to achievable and then i'm thinking hey you know i can climb you know do like a six pack of 14ers you know in the month of june i can do that that's physically possible well then there's also realistic we gotta we gotta think about realistic that you can do that but at the cost of what other domains and what other relationships and what other effects on your body right and yeah, so I know that for me, the smart goals, the achievable and realistic have always been tricky because I've always mm-hmm. been like, yeah, I can do that. Um, and so 
you know, for people who may be struggling in a specific area, there is a certain degree of freedom in saying, okay, you know, I can focus on this one thing and it will be okay. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. And I think that there are, I think we'll also find that there are times where our goals overlap in domains. Like I said, where I was looking at you know, getting involved in, in, at my church, it was both for, after moving across town, it was both a spiritual goal and a relational goal, um, because they overlap. And so rather than feeling like I have to pursue something that is just spiritual, or I have to pursue something that is just social, um, seeing where are there things that make it a little easier because you get to double dip. Yeah. Yeah, I know that, like, for example, when I go hiking, um, mm-hmm. that is, that's doing something physical, and it's doing something spiritual, for me at mm-hmm. least, you know, because, yeah. you know, being out in nature, there's something about it that's very spiritual, and I know it is for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, so how, um, so how can evaluating these areas help us achieve new goals and move us into new areas, and you know, build those new neural pathways. Say the first part of that question again, how can, how can this help us? Yeah. How can evaluating these areas? Well, I think it's really easy to just get caught up in doing what we've already always done. And then three months, six months, 12 months have gone by and we're in the same spot as we were. And so to have specific times in life where we stop to evaluate, we stop to say, where's, where's my green? Where's my yellow? Where's my red? What's going well? What, what can I work on? Um, just kind of keeps us on track and moving forward and not for a shame-based space, but just for these, these incremental pieces to go, okay, well, I may be eating healthier, but I haven't seen my weight loss shift. Okay. Well, at least this part is going better. Um, now what? And, and I don't, you know, I personally don't tend to do New Year's resolutions because it feels like I'm on the peer pressure bandwagon. But I, there are other times throughout the year where I feel like whether it's around a birthday, it's or it's it's usually in the spring in some some way for me that I will sit down with my journal and Jesus and just kind of work through some of these pieces as well. But that that habit and that pattern of regular self-reflection, you know, whether it's annually, whether it's semi-annually, whether it's monthly, just helps to keep us on track and remind us of what we're working for, affirm us for where we have made changes, because I think that affirmation is just as important as the reminders of where we need to keep working. Um, But we will fall back into whatever patterns exist without regular uh, reflection and accountability. And that accountability is even from our own selves. Yeah. I, I do agree that self, that self-evaluation is so important. You know, it, it might be difficult for some people to sit with themselves and mm-hmm. to evaluate themselves. And that's another, might be another red flag whenever you try to sit down with yourself because you know, you can be this high achiever. You can be these the type of person that goes and does a lot of things and that, you know, everybody likes, but you're always busy. You're always doing mm-hmm. things because you don't want to sit with yourself. 
and there's something there that you need to touch on. And so basically self-evaluation gives you the opportunity to identify why that might be and maybe clean house a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where we are not meant to do life, including self-reflection in isolation that that is where community comes into play. That's where therapy comes into play of we will always be biased in our own story, whether we overinflate what we're doing, whether we self-deprecate, whether we add shame, like we are not an unbiased observer of our own lives. And to have people, um, even if it's one person, but ideally multiple people who we give permission to speak into our lives and to reflect back to us what they're seeing, that then you got someone on your team, then you've got someone in your corner and and your perception is more likely to to be accurate when when it's not just from one angle. Okay, so community is an important way to uh, sustain change. You know, and you know, as we Absolutely. as we close, what are some of the other things that people can use to help sustain change whenever they decide to make these changes, be it the new year or a new season or whatever time that they feel like they need to you know, take, take a step back, self-evaluate. Um, what are the things that they need to sustain change? I think sustaining change really gets out like what you were saying of like that seven layers of why, like what, what is the actual reason that you are needing to make this change? Um, and, and doing that work to figure out what, what is your true driver? If you are trying to quit smoking, is it just because, it annoys your partner. Is it just because you don't want to risk cancer later? Or is it actually because you want to be around for your children or your grandchildren? And there's a relational reason, not just a fear-based reason um, that that drives you. But And that's just an example. But what's underneath that why? Um, and, and I think when we have people in our corner, even if it's one person who is on board with us, we are far more likely to sustain that change because now there is someone who's asking, someone who's going on that walk with us, someone who's engaging in that process with us, not doing things in isolation, not doing self-reflection in isolation will help. Right. Well, if people want to find out more about, you know, your ministry, you do counseling, you do consulting, um, where can they find out more about how to find you? Um, I have a website that I put together before I got married. So it's under my maiden name, which is Mm -hmm. Elizabeth Wagner. Sorry, it is Elizabeth Nesbitt.com. And Elizabeth is with an S E L I S A B E T H N E S B I T.com. And I would love to hear from you if, if there's anything I can, can help with. Well, Dr. Betsy, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to Christian curious with Dr. Haley Grace Scott If you like what you hear and you're listening to the podcast, please hit the five-star button or give us a thumbs up as that really helps us out. But also be sure to check out Betsy, um, Betsy's website at elizabethnesbitt.com and our website, that's christiancurious.com. That's www.christiancurious.com. Stay curious.